0: night that you don't have much to say, or is it because you think I'm going to take two hours anyway and you want to get out? I have to try to understand that. We have been ministering and teaching for quite some time on the church and uh, what the church consists of and uh, what it needs to be able to fulfill his obligation to God. And we've covered a lot of things about church discipline, healthy church government, and so many things that hardly any of the churches, denominal or what have you have fulfilled according to the word of God. And for that reason we have been rendered in a sense powerless to bring about the things that God has left us here to do and so many times we pick up a little scripture here and a little scripture there and portions of it and leave it out and and therefore it doesn't say what it's supposed to say. I was reading kind of a little funny this evening while I was studying about quoting just portions of scripture And I was reminded of the scripture that says, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so during a service, ministers uh, had asked that the congregation stand up and quote their favorite scripture. Everything went fine until they got to the old maid. And she stood up and said, If any man will come after me, let him. So you can see how dangerous it is to just quote certain scriptures. We was thinking about our minds and how bad it is, and they were teasing Sister Louise, and I think we just, well, tell some things on her while we're at it. Remember one time this was told to me, that I'm supposing that's truth. about her being locked out of her car and she couldn't get in it and so she was getting some help and somebody come and said if you have a clothes hanger I can get in there she says well I have one she opened the back door and got it (laughs) now I'm supposing that's truth I wasn't there but I'm not sure they would Would lie on her. They might have stretched the truth a little bit. But. uh... (laughs) You see they kind of know her around here. All right. But anyway what I was getting to was that I had studied pretty much on the ministry of the uh, prophets. And some way I picked up some old notes of many years ago. I never throw anything away because I never know when I might have to use them again. Because see, you could preach something one month and then the next month preach the same thing over and majority of the congregation wouldn't know it's the same thing. And so consequently, we're, we're able to do that. But this had been some time ago, and I couldn't get away from it. And I thought, well, God, if that's what you want, then certainly I'll do my best. Having not really studied on it, I'll certainly do my best to try to get to the heart and core of the matter and try to challenge us tonight as to who Jesus is and how important he is. I want to read from the 17th chapter of St. John. And while you're turning to that, a lot of references have been made concerning the atoning work of Jesus Christ and our Savior and about the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, about the necessary involvement that we have in baptism. But I don't think we have covered the area enough of his work as intercessor and our high priest. And if we don't recognize the importance of that, well then the atoning work of Christ just gets us so far. The name of Christ the same way and the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, unless we understand that the atoning work of Jesus Christ was to redeem us from our sins. The power of the Holy Ghost is to make us strong, but we never get beyond the necessity of the high priest or the intercessor for us, which is Jesus Christ. And how he prayed for us and still intercedes for us 17th chapter of St. John, for a portion of it, speak concerning the prayer of intercession. Beginning at the first verse, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal. That they may know thee the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou givest me to, gavest me to do. And now, O Father... Are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And that they believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world. But for them which thou hast given me for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. I am glorified in thee, and now I am no more in the world. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep them through thine own name, those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves." I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Father, again we are most thankful for your heavenly calling, Father, upon our lives. We're grateful for thy truth that has been preserved, for the revelation, Master, of thy truth that comes to us when we ask of thee. So we ask tonight, Master, that we would be a vessel, Just to be used to expound the word of God. We recognize there is no good thing in us, however intellectual we might be or might become, is of no consequence when it comes to unraveling the word of God. It takes your presence, takes your spirit, and your anointing, and your breathing upon the word. So we ask tonight, Father, to be used according to thy will. Anoint us and bless us, and anoint thy words as it comes from these lips of clay, and anoint the minds of the congregation, Father, that they might hear, understand, and keep it in their heart, and bring it to fruition. We give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think what I need to begin with is Jesus is about to be crucified. He knows this. It's just before he is taken, just before the arrival in Gethsemane, just before he's crowned with thorns, just before his final rejection by the Jewish authorities and the people. But I want you to notice in spite of all of that, his attention is turned to those that have followed him. His disciples and also we today. Jesus never speaks anything just to a certain few people. Everything he speaks or has written by his disciples and apostles is for ages then and ages to come. And we are included in everything that he speaks about concerning this. And so his mind was upon those that he was going to leave. And he prayed an unselfish prayer that embraces all mankind and reaches down to the halls of eternity to our day and embraces us as he knows where he's leaving us. He knows the condition of the world that he was leaving his disciples in. And he knows the condition of the world, of every follower of him. his that comes. And he is praying for us. How wonderful it is to have somebody that we have confidence in to pray for us. When we reach out for humanity, we want to reach out and give our requests to individuals that we are Sure, take our interest to heart and pray for us. But how important it is for us to realize that somebody far greater than humanity has, just before giving his life, has uttered a prayer down through the generations of time that reaches us and will reach every individual until he comes. And his prayer was, keep them. If you have any idea, if you begin this walk with Christ, that you can't make it through, always remember and refer back to this prayer where Jesus simply prays and says, I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to have a physical presence here. But I'm praying for them that you would keep them. They have been mine. And if they're mine, they're thine. And now then, I'm giving them to you. And my prayer is that you would keep them. The Bible lets us know that Jesus Christ is our high priest ever living to make intercession for us. Ever willing to see our failures Our downfalls, our mistakes, and things that we do not willfully do, tricked by the powers of the enemy. And he's ever living to stand between us and a just God. Do you remember whenever Job prayed, he said, I wish I had a daysman. I wish I had an intercessor that could stand between me and God. But he said, I don't have one. But we are more fortunate than Job in so much that through Jesus Christ he stands before God in our mistakes and intercedes for us and lets us know that it is through his righteousness and his alone do we ever dare approach him. He has by invitation invited us To the very throne room of his, and he stretches out the golden scepter and says, Whatever you need, I am the supplier of it all. Jesus was returning to his heavenly abode, wherever that might have been, but he left his heart here. Now, else we need to realize, though we can't see him, there are places times in our life where we can simply lean our head on his bosom and feel his heartbeat. beat anytime we so desire to know when his heart still beats for us and he's left his heart here he's left it through his people he's left it through his church and he still desires through us to reach out for those that are lost and dying We have been left here for a purpose. There is a reason you're here tonight. There's a reason you came to know Jesus Christ. There is a reason He surrounded you with His love. There is a reason He cleansed you by His own precious blood. There is a reason He came down and overshadowed us. Healed our body and mind. And that reason is we have a purpose in this life to fulfill and do the things that he did as he works through us. How little when we look at it do we see the depths of this prayer for his disciples and us today. That great high priest intercedes for his own. He is bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh, our King, our God, our Bridegroom, our Friend, our Good Shepherd. Now at the right hand of power, always at all times, not just on church time, not just when we congregate together, but at all times, on the right hand of power, interceding sometimes for our fruitless life, Sometimes for our sins exposed to that and the enemy that traps us. All he asked for us, has ever asked for us and of us, is to come into his presence and realize his prayer was made for us. Thousands of years old, 2,000 anyway, still powerful, still true, still honest and still has the ability to cleanse and to raise up and to do the things in His heart of us. Hebrews 7.25 reads, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the utmost that come unto Him by seeing that He ever liveth, to make intercession for us. He has become not only our Savior where that precious undiluted blood which was the blood of God himself flowed to the veins of that flesh. That he might be able to offer what no man was ever able to do. Offer the perfect sacrifice for the sins of all humanity willingly gave himself and become our Savior. But more than that, then he become our high priest and he is soon to be our soon-coming King. And how he prays. I was struck by that prayer, though I have read it time and time again. The obedient vessel of flesh now earnestly presents his petitions to that which indwells him, as he says, keep them. Keep them during their trials and troubles. How does he do this? How can he say that? By reminding his God that he emptied himself of his own will while he was on earth. You see, he based his plea upon his merits, not upon ours. God help us to fully understand that when we approach the throne of grace and mercy, and when we approach the very throne room of God, far be it from us, that we approach it in the self-righteous rags of man. His only ask us, through his divinity to clothe ourselves in the ser- ser- self-righteous, not in the self-righteous rags of man, but in the righteous garments of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds that which indwells him, that he become poor when he was once rich, no place to lay his head, and that was for our sake. He's about to receive the full penalty for all sin. Soon now he's going to drink the very last bitter dregs from that cup as one giant hand hangs it down and in it it's the sins of all humanity and he shrinks back from that. Very seldom do you ever see him shrinking from anything but when he saw the sins of all of us he shrinks from that. said, my God, if it's possible let this cup pass from me. And then he willingly submitted himself and said, Nevertheless, it's not my will, but thy will be done. And he drank the better grapes of that cup. And as he hanged on the cross of Calvary, your sins and mine was moved and blotted out by the divinity of Almighty God. Notice when he said he knew the path. That labor for us because he had come to be tempted as man. We sometimes look at him way up there beyond heavens and cannot be touched, but he came to walk among us so he would know how we feel. Amen. Don't ever stand in the face of God and say, But you don't know how we feel. He does. He came. He dwelt among us. He endured the hardships of humanity and the awful pain more than any man could ever know. And nailed our sins to the cross. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to remind us that there is no reason for failure. There's no reason to go so far in this salvation walk when we have the prayer Of the divine power of Almighty God through Jesus Christ. He did not pray for riches. He didn't ask for honor. He didn't ask for worldly influence for us. Things that we look on and cherish so much, Christ looks on as superficial. They don't mean anything when you finally lay your hands across your chest and close your eyes in peaceful slumber, everything you have ever worked for would have been lost. But as only that, what you have sent to heaven, building God's kingdom, will ever meet you there. Amen. So you can have all the riches in this world. And Jesus never prayed, and He don't care if we get rich, I can't handle it anyway, so he knows that, so he didn't ever allow me to be that. And it doesn't bother me much anyway. I kind of like to have food on my table, and all my debts clear, and I like to have an automobile to drive. And I like to have a place to worship, and I like brothers and sisters in the flesh and not in the flesh. And I meant to say I like it because a lot of my family's here. This is one time I can really get on their case and they can't do anything about it. So I'm going to lay it on you tonight. I'm going to let them have it. You're not my back. you brother. let them have it. Yeah. <laughs> right. up, <laughs> them have it. <laughs> oh, well, isn't that common thing? Now back to what I was talking about. Okay. He didn't pray for that, but he prayed earnestly that we would be kept from evil. You ever wonder when evil presents itself and there's a sudden urge inside of you and something says inside, that's not really bad. And then something inside of you says, that is really bad. And then that's that prayer that he prayed for us. Keep them. Keep them from evil. Keep them separated from this world. You know, the common consensus today is that you can do just about anything. There's no such thing as sin. I think I discussed that with somebody. It's just a sickness that we can't overcome. The Bible says sin is sin. And sin is still in the world. And Jesus prayed for us that we would be separated from the world and that we would be equipped for this battle of life and that prayer would bring us home safely into the kingdom of God. Well, Hallelujah. Yeah. The Lord. I'm feeling excited now, but I'm trying to control myself because I've got a long way to go. What supplication he makes as he is about to depart from this life As he reminds his God, remember I am coming to thee, but these are still in the world. Not a selfish bone in his body. He was returning to his eternal habitation, the throne of God. And these, he said, is still in the confusing wilderness of this world. Everything he faced and all the confusion that was there, he knew he was leaving his disciples at that moment and the disciples that was to come in a world filled with confusion. And it is a confusing world, and I for one would never be able to make it in this world if I had not realized He had already prayed for me that I was to be brought safely into His kingdom because of Him, not because of me. He was returning where no enemy could follow him, where Satan could never tempt him again, where no weariness could ever distress him. And he prays and he knows his battle is won. But he says, now these that I have taught and these that I have reached and those that would follow them would be in this cruel cavity of a world. He was leaving at that time to reap the trophies of his mighty victory over death and the grave. As his heel crushes the head of the serpent, he was there to grasp hold of the scepter and wear the crown as he ascended into his throne. He had been weary here, but he will not be weary any longer. And he's doing that to let us know that there is coming a time when all the battle has been fought and when we have utilized His prayer and understood what He's all about and knowing that He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's still alive, Saint. He's still taking His place between God and us and the wrath of God in us. And He's letting us know that there'll be a time When we'll fold our hands in peaceful slumber and the work is done, we will wait until he soon comes. These are in the world. Keep them, he says. He'll never forget his followers in this wilderness of sin. He demonstrated his concern so beautiful when he spent that whole night in prayer in Gethsemane. Or before that. He intended to pray all night. But he looked down at the Sea of Galilee and saw a storm churning on the waters, tossing tossing, and twisting in its turbulent waves. And he saw a little boat filled with anxious disciples doing the best they could, rowing, rowing and toiling. And he left them there Until the fourth watch of the night. And then he comes walking on the water. And so it always is with us. He'll let us flex our muscles. He'll let us use our faith until it looks like we're going to be overturned in the sea of evil. And then he comes walking on the highest waves of evil. And comes and takes our hand and moves us away. He leaves us floundering sometimes. Sometimes the hour is the darkest in our life before the sunrise. But falling on the heels of the darkness comes the daylight. And he pleads for them. Notice that. You would read that when you get home. They're still in the world. We're still in the ungodly world, unkind world, unconcerned world that hates us and loves evil. And those like Him, we ought to plead. Saints, our job is to plead for those who are still in this world. The world is not good to us, but it's good for us. It will stretch us into greatness. It's a place of trial for the child of God. A place where we can experience and our experience will be thoroughly tested. It's a place of danger where we will be sorely pressed by the enemy of our souls. A place where every attempt would be made to deceive us by drawing us aside with fascinations that would cloud our vision of the Christ of Calvary. cold, cruel, cruel, chamber of the world is where he's going to leave those that he taught. Jesus knew that hope withers in the world. Jesus knew joy is fleeting here. Jesus knew nothing is abiding forever here. He knew that change is constant all the time. He knew that flesh is weak, and he knew the enemy of our soul is are many above all he knew the devil as a roaring lion pacing backwards and forth, searching for prey, seeking a frightened, trembling soul to tear to shreds, mutilating it beyond ribbons. And that enemy is still that great. But remember when that is happening, Jesus said, keep them. Keep them. Don't lose them. That's our job. Keep them. And might I challenge us long enough to ask, are we doing it faithfully? Are we praying for a world out here that knows not what we know? Jesus could have taken his disciples then. And He could take us today. But out of compassion for the world, His pride and joy, His humanity that He made from the dust and the earth and breathed a breath of life into Him, and they became His crown and glory never, never lost sight of humanity, created us for Him and Him for us. You see, sometimes we don't feel like that He has any need of us, but He does. He likes to hear from us. I think He warned us said. Why don't you, I think last Sunday night or after that, before that, he said, why don't you just come and talk to me? Let me hear your voice. I'm lonesome. I need to hear you. And God, when He walked in the cool of the day, when He talked to Adam, shared everything that he wanted, his aspirations and his dreams for humanity. And Adam shared with him also that was communion, not conversation. And so often we only have conversation with him when he wants communion and in-depth inside of us so he can speak to these ears of us and let us know what his aspirations for his church is. And of course you read the Word of God. But He left us here, He left His disciples here as lights to a darkened world. Let's go back a little bit to the sinking ship during the storm. Here's a boat so frail that it needs not a wave but just a small ripple to upset it. But I want you to watch it. It rides over the wildest storm. And over the worst waves, this little boat in the midst of a storm, how can it do this? Jesus is there, alright? And sometimes we feel as if we are in a sinking ship all by ourselves, and yet our lives Still hold fast to the unchanging hand of God. How can we do this? Because Jesus is there. We could never do it if He left us or forsake us. See a human soul so weak that it can't sustain itself and yet all the powers of hell can't crush it. Why is that? Jesus is there. He said He would be. And He prayed for us. A lively prayer. Also you need to see the salvation gospel carried down through the ages by the weakest and meekest of men. He didn't call the intellectuals. He didn't call those individuals with high IQs, although there's nothing wrong with uh, an education. We ought to get as much as we can. But there's something about faith in God that defies all the education in man's world. It simply transcends it all. And we, by faith, walk through it. Notice. This little ship called the church defied the powers of Rome. It burned in the lips and hearts of the followers of Christ all through the dark ages. Pick up Fox's Book of Martyrs and some of those others and learn. How in the worst times and awful cruelty that a sadistic man can imagine how they held fast, burning at the stake, heads severed from their bodies, and all of these things they underwent. And Jesus had prayed for them. And Jesus was there. And they died and went on to glory without denying the Christ of Calvary. Watch it, rulers and dictators tried to suppress it, but still it is being sounded. All powers of hell cannot extinguish it. It still burns brightly because Jesus is there. Like the bush in the wilderness... That Moses looked at, it was burning, but it was not consumed. So are God's people here. First Peter 1.5 says we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Outriding every storm. Let the winds blow. Let the waves beat high. Let the fire burn. Yet we outride every storm. Resisting because we're believing in Christ. Every temptation and carry through this by the prayer of our Master that says, Keep them and let them be triumphant over death and hell. Do this in spite of the world. Do this in spite of flesh. Do this in spite of the devil. Yes, in the world, but not of the world. Left here for a purpose and witnessing is just one reason. Can you think of others as to why you are here? What would heaven actually mean to us? If we had been guided through the storms of life with no problems, we would have been a puppet. Where God just simply guides us and we got no mind of our own. But God wanted us to think and buried between His life and between His Garden of Gethsemane and between His crucifixion is a prayer prayed by Him for all of us today. Put there, if we're not careful, outshined by His miraculous life, skipping over that, we go then to His crucifixion in the Garden of Gethsemane, but placed in between that was one of the most important things Jesus ever did for humanity, is a prayer of intercession. He prayed that for us. Amen. Amen. And He asked us to pray that for the world. I want you to notice in there, He did not pray for the world. He left that job to us. He prayed for us who know Him. That we would stay where we need to stay. And up to us then and said, that's your job As I have interceded for you, you intercede for them. How can you do this? On your knees. With supplementation to God and a breathing of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. Being unselfish in ourselves. And understanding we owe God some things for our lives. We owe Him for His blood. We owe Him for His name. We owe Him for His Holy Spirit. We owe Him for ever healing that ever transformed in our body. We owe Him for a livelihood of reality in Him. We owe Him for our ability to walk upright before a world. He left us a pattern As He interceded for us. That's how unselfish we need to be. You see, He was letting us know there there is going to be eternal redemption. He's letting us know there's come a time when there's not going to be problems, but He's letting us know also That He's prayed for us. He gave His life's blood. He gave His anointing of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives. That we with His prayer can walk upright in His sight. And we often speak of the great need for intercessors. And that for the most part is about as far as we go is talking about it. Because it's easier to talk than it is to do. The Bible says be ye doers of the Word and not hearers only. And so while we're facing our spiritual crucifixions of the flesh. Can we be so unselfish that we can look out in this town and in this world and see people in far worse shape than we are and give our minds off of our little trials and troubles and start praying for them? Everything else can't work without prayer. We can reach no one. All the visitations in this world is not going to help if we are not guided by the liveliness of God's prayer in our lives Amen. and realizing it cost Him something. And it's going to cost us something. He paid the price. Can we? Will we? Is a better question. Are we? As I close, can we? How many times? do we ask Jesus to touch a life? How many times do we ask Him, send me, Lord. Let me go. Let me talk to them. And instead, and I've been around the block about 50 years Well, I don't guess I know. I'll send you to my pastor. Are you supposed to know? Did you know that? You're supposed to have some answers. And of course, if you don't have, they're in here. (laughs) Oh, yeah. All you got to do is open the book. There's not one thing that happens to humanity but what isn't covered in the pages of this book. Amen. But as my brother Max and I was talking, sometimes God just hides them, but He doesn't hide them so far but what we can find them. I haven't read this book yet. I've read the other one, God Catchers, from Tommy Tenney, and he likens us as God's children, as his children. He said when they'd play hide and go seek, he'd hide, but he'd always hide where they could find him. And that's what God does. He hides, but he always hides where we can find him. If we want to find him, he's there. So what could I say tonight? If you want to find Him, you can find Him. Many of us, and I know you could lift your hand on this, many of us have found Him in the darkness. Many of us have found Him in our loneliness, in our despair, and in our hopelessness. We found Him. When everybody else says, it'll never happen, we've helped him. And he said it can. All of us have found him in adversity. Because he don't hide so good with what we can find him. And what we have to do, I need to shut up, don't I? What, we, Lorna, you stayed awake. I, I told her if she didn't, I was coming back there. <laughs> She's on some medicine, she says. She's making excuses, so she went to sleep. But <laughs> well, we owe him so much. Could you stand with me just for a few moments?